name is Ardalis Green, and it's a beautiful morning in the kingdom. My oldest son and grandson, oldest grandson, Chris and Judah, are both here from Birmingham. So I love them very much. I'm so glad they're here. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. The title of the message is Lessons from a Storm. It's a story about a shipwreck um, involving the Apostle Paul. I grew up um, in the 1960s, and um, there were many popular shows then, McHale's Navy, um, Hogan's Heroes, but I think one of my favorites was Gilligan's Island. I, uh, I grew up watching Gilligan's Island, kind of dating myself right now. It actually aired from 1964 to 1967, and then the reruns have been constant. But um, it had a catchy song, and it went like this. Just sit back, and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a faithful trip that started from a tropic port aboard a tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and true. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. For a three-hour tour. So back in the days when I was doing some fishing, I would get on board this boat, and the guy would say, for a three-hour tour. <laughs> the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow, good, if you ever do trivia, the minnow, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. The ship set ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle. Who was aboard with Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, a movie star. The Professor and Marianne here on Gilligan's Isle. You did watch the show. <clears throat> so about 50 years before Gilligan, there was another shipwreck you may know about. Most of you know the most famous shipwreck of all was the sinking of the Titanic, made even more famous by the movie involving Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, made even more famous by its discovery in the bottom of the sea in 1985, about two miles down, and made even more tragic by the five who perished on a journey to see the Titanic. The Titanic was considered unsinkable. It sailed out of England, Liverpool, and on April the 15th, 1912, the RMS Titanic sunk in the North Atlantic after hitting an iceberg. It was its maiden voyage. The Titanic broke apart, sank to the bottom of the sea, tragically taking with it 1,500 passengers. Did you know that aboard the, the Titanic was about 75,000 pounds of meat, about 11,000 pounds of fresh fish, about 40,000 pounds of potatoes, 40,000 eggs, and 15,000 bottles of ale all went to the bottom of the sea. It hit the iceberg about 11.40 p.m., the stewards came knocking on doors at about 12.05 to rouse the passengers. About 12.45, the first lifeboat, lifeboat was lowered, and the crew continued taking passengers on lifeboats until 2.05 a.m. Fifteen minutes later, the Titanic sank. The Titanic's band, did you know this, played to the very end, neared my God to thee, to calm the passengers aboard the ship. So... We turn to Acts 27. The story I'm about to tell you 
you will find yourself somewhere in this story. Paul finds himself on a ship bound for Rome. Paul's dream was to go to Rome, to rent out the Colosseum and preach the gospel there. Rome, of course, was the biggest, most important capital city of the Roman Empire. The Roman armies marched out of Rome, and they marched back in victory parades along the Appian Way. Rome was where Caesar lived. But in God's sovereign plan, Paul didn't go there as a preacher who was free. He went there as a prisoner. He was put in the custody of a Roman centurion whose name was Julius. And the centurion's assignment was to get Paul and the other prisoners to Rome. Because Paul was a Roman citizen, he had appealed his case to Caesar. He was arrested on false charges in Jerusalem. He made his defense before three Gentile kings, the last of whom was named Agrippa, who said Paul could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. So Paul and his attending physician, whose name was Luke, and Aristarchus are put on a ship carrying grain to Rome. Acts chapter 27, verse number 10. I ask the question as we begin, what causes people to make bad decisions that put them into a storm? My first answer is they don't listen to the voice of wisdom and experience. Look at verse 10. Paul speaking says, men, I believe there is trouble ahead. This can't go well. This will end very, very badly. We are past the vernal equinox, right? It's fall time. I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our own lives as well. In short, this voyage is going to be disastrous. Paul himself was an experienced traveler. In his three missionary journeys, he had traveled 13,000 miles by land and by sea. In 2 Corinthians, he says he was shipwrecked three times, spent a night and day in the sea. He had tons of wisdom and experience, and he's speaking out of his concern for the ship and crew. And you know what? We should definitely tap into a person with wisdom and experience. The Bible says we become wise by walking with the wise. The Bible says that where there's good counsel, a multitude of good counsel, there is victory. So what did Paul know? He knew from experience you don't sail into the fall, in the fall time or winter months in the Mediterranean Sea. It's like going down to the Caribbean right now for a cruise at the time when the hurricanes are happening, right? He loves them enough to warn them. Is anybody loving you enough to warn you? Our world is full of very dumb decisions. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, today, I'm going to make the dumbest decision ever. <laughs> Lori Laughlin and her husband gave a $500,000 bribe to USC to get their two daughters in under false pretenses and went to prison. In 1985, Coke, celebrating 100 years of making Coke, decided they would change the recipe and come up with new Coke. The sales dropped by 20%. This April, Bud Light uh, decided to 
um, have a commemorative can to a transgender social influencer named Mulvaney, and their sales dropped by 36%. Pretty dumb decisions. So what causes people to make dumb decisions? First, they do not listen to the voice of wisdom and experience. And number two, they listen to bad advice. Look at verse 11. So the officer in charge of the prisoners, his name was Julius the centurion, listened more to the ship's captain and to the owner than he did to Paul. Paul was the man with wisdom and experience. He felt the voyage would be way too risky. But the centurion, the one in charge of the ship, listened to the captain of the ship. So what did the captain say? We don't know. But something like this. Me and my crew, we are ready to sail. We can handle anything this sea would put at us. Why would you listen to Paul, the prisoner, when you can listen to me, the captain, with seagoing experience? And the centurion listened to the ship's owner. What did the owner say? Well, we don't know, but... I don't make any money unless we sail. The ship is full of grain from Egypt. I will make a profit if we sail, but I will lose time and money if we don't. I wonder how many bad decisions have been made because of money, financial concerns. The captain and the owner throw caution to the wind. They aren't dealing with reality. To make a really good decision, you have to face reality. It is late in the season. Storms this time of year come up suddenly. Paul is saying, don't do it. Is anybody in your life saying to you right now, don't do it? They're warning you. And the centurion listened to the crew. They said, let's sail on to Phoenix. Isn't it interesting that now, 2,000 years later, people still want to winter in Phoenix and warm places like that? So the, the crew wants to move from a place called Fair Havens to Phoenix. Have you ever been given bad advice? People will show up at a doctor's office suggesting the doctor prescribe a certain medicine. The doctor will ask, where did you learn about that? Well, I read it on the internet. I went to WebMD. I read somebody's blog. I was talking to my friend. Now, the doctor went to medical school, did a three-year residency, passed the boards. So what qualifies you to be the expert on the medicine you should take? Some people will ask enough people to find somebody who will agree with them, right? That's who will listen to the person who will reinforce what they want to do. When that happens, what happens is we are sailing into a storm, listening to bad advice. The third reason people make bad decisions is they go with the crowd. They go with the flow. Look at verse 12. Most of the crew wanted to go to Phoenix, farther up the coast, and spend the winter there because everyone was saying it, Everyone was believing it doesn't make it true. We heard during COVID about herd immunity, when 70% of the population had immunity from COVID from having it or having the vaccine. This is not herd immunity. This is called herd mentality. We're not doing the right thing. We're just doing what most people are doing. 
I was talking to a woman recently, a young woman, whose boyfriend is putting pressure on her because he says this is what other people are doing. She has Christian convictions about waiting until marriage, but you can just feel the pull of the culture, can't you? People trying to go along to get along. I mean, you take a poll to see where people are, and we settle for less than the best. You can work somewhere because you don't think you can get another job. You can stay in a relationship because you think you can't do better. I don't even think the people on January 6, 2021, intended to storm the Capitol. Some have deep regrets about their actions. What happened? They made a bad decision because they followed after the crowd. Now one of the leaders of the Proud Boys has gotten his prison sentence. The leader was given 17 years in prison for making a horrible decision. What causes people to make bad choices? When they go with the crowd, they go with the flow. It was that the Roman centurion was not paying attention to the experience and wisdom of the Apostle Paul, was relying on the majority opinion. The problem with the majority is, you know this, don't you? The majority isn't always right. What if the majority of people living in our country believe that abortion, late-term abortion, should be legal? Would that make it right? What if the majority of people in America believe that there's nothing wrong with same-sex marriage? Would that make it right? Here's the truth. The majority isn't always right. The crew said, well, let's sail. This port is pretty boring. But up there in Phoenix, there's some action. I mean, we can look for some people to do the winter with up there in Phoenix. You remember Moses and the 12 spies? They spent 40 days in the promised land. The land was exactly what God said it would be, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came back and they gave the report. Ten of them said, we can't do it. That's the majority report. But two of them said, we can and we should. The two, Joshua and Caleb, spent 40 years, one year for every day they were in the wilderness, walking around until that generation died off. You better get used to it. Not everybody's going to agree with you. Sometimes you are the only one. Paul knows it's a bad idea to sail this late. There are 276 people on this vessel. If they took a vote, the vote would be 273 sail, three not sail. The majority said go. The minor minority said no. They had no idea about the storm that was ahead. Can you think of anybody in your life who is shipwrecked because they followed after the crowd? They did what seemed to be the most popular thing to do. The fourth reason people make bad decisions is they misread the circumstances. Acts 27, verses 13 and 14. When a light, pleasant, gentle breeze began to come from the south. Oh, I can feel that nice, gentle, southern breeze. And they sailed out of their harbor. They were only trying to sail some 40 miles. 
with a favorable, favorable wind, they would make it in a day. So they pulled up anchor, and they sailed close to the island of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a fierce, ferocious wind of typhoon, typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island, and the storm blew the ship out to sea. It's easy to misread the circumstances you were in. There's a story in the Old Testament about a prophet whose name was Jonah, who misread the circumstances. God told Jonah, Jonah, get up, arise, Jonah, and go to the land of Nineveh and preach judgment against the land. Nineveh was the most, the biggest city in the ancient world, but they were well known for their violence. They were an enemy of Israel. So what did Jonah do? Remember the story. He went down to the city of Joppa, or Jaffa, or Jaffa, and he saw a ship in the shipyard. He asked the captain, where are you going? He said, Tarshish, Spain, near the Straits of Gibraltar, 2,000 miles west. <laughs> There's a ship leaving port, going to Tarshish, 2,000 miles away. Nineveh was north and east, 500 miles. Tarshish was west, 2,000 miles. But he found a ship. He paid the fare. He boarded the ship. The weather was favorable. The sun was shining. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. But he sailed in the opposite direction from what God wanted him to go. And what happened? A ferocious storm came upon that ship. And where was Jonah? Jonah was in the hold of the ship, sleeping it out. I mean, the crew was rowing and Jonah was snoring. And the captain comes down into the hole and says, how can you sleep at a time like this? Call upon your God quickly. Maybe he can save us. Now all the sailors were calling out to their gods. And then they casted lots to figure out... <laughs> Who's responsible for this storm? And the lots fell to Jonah. Remember the story, right? The lots fell to Jonah. And they said, who are you? And he said, well, my name is Jonah. And uh, what have you done? Well, I'm running away from the Lord. <laughs> what, what, what country are you from? Well, I'm from Israel. How could you do this? Well, I'm a fool. Well, be a fool by yourself. Fools think they can run away from God. Your God has created a storm. Well, what should we do? Throw me into the sea. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. I don't like what God has said. I don't like what God is doing. Throw me overboard and let me drown. Well, the sailors didn't want to commit murder, so they rode even harder into the wind, into the storm, and couldn't get through this storm. And so they threw Jonah into the sea, and the sea became calm. He thought he'd have a whale of a good time. <laughs> and along comes a big fish and swallows Jonah. So in chapter 1, we see Jonah running from the Lord, and the big old storm comes up as God intervenes to say, you cannot run from me. It is impossible to run away from God. So what happens to us in the storms? Verse 15. They cause us to drift. The sailors couldn't run the ship into the wind. 
So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven by the wind. Have you ever drifted? The thing as a pastor that breaks my heart is when I know somebody once was on fire, but now the fire is out. When someone just loved to come to worship and just be before the Lord, but now they don't come. When they were open to the word and the influence of the word upon their life, but now the word is gathering dust. When they used to pray, but now they don't. Have you ever drifted? I remember back in the summer when our kids were little, growing up, we'd go to the beach and we'd bring along our little boogie boards and skim boards and they'd spend most of their time out in the ocean, you know, swimming and floating and riding boogie boards. And we'd say, make sure you know where you, we are so you can look for us, our chair and umbrellas. And they'd go into the ocean in front of us, but sometimes they'd be 100, 200 yards down uh, current. What happened? There was a drift, right? The currents took them. I wonder what the undercurrents that are taking your kids away are. It's possible to not even know you're drifting, but you're being carried away by the culture. There's all kinds of different philosophies now that are coming at your children, my grandchildren. I like the story about um, a couple, this man and his wife, who drove in their truck, um, in the front seat of their truck, you know, the bench seat of the truck. So while they were dating and while they were just married, she'd kind of cuddle up to him real close, you know, they ride together. But 20 years later, she'd sit on her side and he'd sit on his side, driving the truck. And she said, why don't we cuddle anymore? We used to cuddle, you know, when we drove, and it was so nice to drive in the truck. We used to cuddle together. And he said, darling, I'm not the one who moved. I'm still driving the truck. <laughs> when we feel distance from God, it's not God who has moved. It's we who have not drawn near to him. So the first thing that happens in storms is we drift. The second thing that happens is we discard what we used to value. Verse 18. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing cargo overboard. That which was most precious to them, they discarded. They threw it overboard. This was an Egyptian ship carrying grain to Rome. The wheat would be used to make bread. Roman meal bread. The wheat would... Little illusion. Okay, so... <laughs> there used to be a bread back when Gilligan's Island was around called Roman meal. That was a little joke. The wheat would get a handsome price, but in the storm... It didn't react, that's why I told you. So, there's a, so, but in the storm, they threw the cargo out. Why? to lighten the ship. The lighter the ship was on the sea, the easier it would sail through the storm, you see. The cost of making a bad decision may be to discard what is most valuable in your life. So, the first thing that happened was they drifted. The second thing that happened was they discarded. And the third thing that happened was they went into despair. Look at verse 20. 
the terrible storm raged for many days, 14 straight days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. It's possible that you have been in a storm so long that you have lost hope. Your storm has gone on for longer than 14 days. You hoped your condition would get better. You hoped your job would get easier. You hoped your partner would become more attentive. You hoped your family would reconnect. You hoped that life, being busy, would settle down. So what's it like to be in this storm? They were 14 days of darkness. They couldn't see the sun or star. They didn't have a GPS. They had no idea where they were. And they were worried about the shallows, the shoals. They thought they were finished. It's over. Let's just put a fork in it because it's done. They gave up their cargo. They gave up their ship's equipment. The last thing they gave up was hope. I believe that everybody on this ship was severely seasick. I heard about a woman who went um, on a you know, fishing ex expedition, and shortly into the ride, she said to the captain, I'll give you the keys of my brand new car if you'll just turn this boat around, because I am so seasick. After 14 days of this, they were sick, and they were losing hope. So what truths will anchor us in the midst of storms? The first anchor, the most important anchor, is the anchor of God's word. Look at verse 23. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. God had promised Paul that he would get to Rome, but he did not promise him a smooth ride. You're going to get to Rome, Paul. But an angel of the Lord came whom I serve, to whom I belong, and stood before me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. If he said, don't be afraid, Paul, Paul was feeling fear like the rest of them. Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. I believe that Paul was praying that they would all survive the journey. So take courage, for I believe God, it will be just as he said. Yes, we will be shipwrecked on an island. So the question is, how do we find stability in the storms that we face? The answer is, it is only possible to find stability in the storm when we, like Paul, believe what God has said. The waves battered the ship. The winds stung their faces. They're coming to the end of themselves, but they get a word from God. God has made promises that you need to hear. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. Isaiah 41, 10. Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through the deep waters... I will be with you. Romans 8.38, I am convinced that no trial, no trouble, no tribulation can ever separate us from the love of God. I'm going to fast forward. So what happens now is 
that Paul gets a word from God and he passes that word on to the people on the ship. That yes, we're going to be shipwrecked, but we're going to survive this shipwreck. And one of the things that Paul does is, because they've been so weakened for these 14 days, he takes some bread and he says, take the bread I have. And he gave thanks for the bread. It's a commemoration of what Jesus taught us on the night in which he was betrayed. That Jesus took the loaf, the bread, and he gave thanks to his father, and he broke that bread. And he said, this bread is my body. Now do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup, the common cup, and said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. And as often as you drink this cup, you remember my death until he returns again. In other words, what Paul was doing in the midst of his storm was he was remembering that God is in control of the storm, that God had given him a promise in the storm, that he was going to make it through the storm. You see, one of the best things I can tell you is your storm that you're in now ain't going to last forever. And God knows the storm that you are in. And God knows exactly what you need to hear. And when you take that word into your heart and you believe the word of God, that God is with you, that God is more powerful than the storm, that God will give you strength in the storm, when you believe that word of God, it strengthens us to face the storm. You see, these guys are going to, this ship's going to be in a wreck. And some of them who can't swim are going to float in on planks. And some of them who can swim are going to be strengthened by this bread they're about to take. You see, what Paul realized was that they needed to remember God in the midst of the storm. Pray with me. Our Father, we come this morning in all different kinds of conditions. Some of us come worn out and exhausted. It's been a heavy weekend. It's been a heavy week. We face trials and tribulations. We face troubles from many different directions. Somebody made a bad decision, just as this centurion did, that took us right into the midst of a storm. And to be honest, we've lost a little perspective in it. We may have drifted some. We may have discarded we may even have lost some hope. But God, you breathe new hope into your people. You give us an ultimate hope of heaven, but you also breathe hope into this very moment that you are our God and you are for us and you're not against us. And you fight for us and you help us in our extremities. So Father, as we now prepare ourselves to receive this cup, this bread, we remember the ultimate sacrifice that our Savior made when he went to a cross and he paid a debt he didn't owe because we had a debt we couldn't pay. And he paid that debt in full. He made the ultimate sacrifice to redeem us from our sin. So, Father, we just quiet ourselves now and we prepare ourselves. You tell us to examine ourselves before we partake of the bread and the cup. So search us, Lord. See if there's been any drift in our hearts. See if there's been things we've discarded that are valuable to us. 
Help us if we find ourselves feeling hopeless. Come near to us, Lord, as we draw near to you. And we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, there were two storms. There was a storm outside, obviously. The storm was creating great waves and winds. But there was a storm inside their hearts of unbelief. And they said, hey, Master, don't you care if we perish? And Jesus said, spoke to the wind, he spoke to the sea, and he calmed it. And he says, why were you so afraid? You see, the more we get to know God in the midst of the storms, we realize that he calms two kinds of storms, inside our hearts as well as outside. Let's pray. Father, would you take us to a deeper place of faith, of reliance upon you? We know that faith <clears throat> takes hold of that which it does not see. It believes what hasn't come to pass yet. And that we believe, God, that you are with us through whatever we have to face in this life. And you give hope to your people. So would you give us, Lord, generous portions of faith and hope as we believe in you, Lord that you're working out your will in our lives, that you are active and alive, that you are um, always at work. Father, we thank you that we have this promise of peace in our innermost being. Grant us this peace, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name.